Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Hi, this is Miranda Wright, and this is day 103 of our 120-day Upper Room prayer campaign. And today we're going to pray that we be God seekers versus people pleasers. Tonight we're going to do it a little bit expository style. Um, We're going to open to Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain. All right, little back history here. Moses had went up into the mountains to pray, to spend some time with God, and to, um, really he was getting the Ten Commandments at this point. But he had went up to the mountain, and he had been up there quite a while. He had taken some time to be shut in with God. When you are in ministry, really if you're saved at all, but especially if you're in ministry, you got to have that shut-in time with God. You've got to have that time to learn, to be ministered to, um, and again, this applies really to every Christian if you expect to grow at all. But you've got to have that quiet personal time to talk with God, to let him pour into you so that you can pour out on others. He went up there and God ministered to him so that when he would come down, he would be able to minister to others. But he had been up there for quite a while. And while he was spending this time learning and growing and, and hearing from the Lord, the congregation below began to get restless. So it says, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, he had been up there a while, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron. Of course, Aaron was Moses' brother. He had been part of the Levite priesthood, so he was a priest among the people, what we would consider like a preacher. Um, And gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. So they told Aaron, create us a God, make us something, because we don't want what's become of this Moses. He's, he's spending a long time up there. We don't know if he's coming back. We don't know if God's given up on him. We don't know if he made all this up. We don't trust him anymore, basically. So we're going to just do, take matters into our own hands. In every Christian's life, that is the first step in the wrong direction. When you get saved, you put your faith in God, you put your trust in Him, and at some point, something is going to take a little longer than you expected. And that's when the danger comes in, because that's when you want to take matters into your own hands. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. What an insult. After all that God had done, after all that Moses had suffered in obedience, 
after all they had been brought through and all that they had seen, they created this golden calf and said, this is the God that brought us up out of Egypt. Translation, it was the work of our own hands. It's what we did. They created the God themselves. It was a work of their own hands. They took matters. This has taken too long. This is not what I expected. We were promised all this stuff. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to create something myself. And I'm going to say, this is what did all the good for me. You know, we, we read these stories at face value and we think, oh, these horrible people. I would never do that. But we do that. Yep. When you look at the principle of it, you, we do that. Yep. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So he was like looking at the golden calf. Hmm, this looks pretty good, the work of our own hands. He's really kind of starting to get a little proud of it himself. Let's go ahead and build an altar before it. We're going to declare a service. We're going to make a whole service to worship the work of our own hands. Well, you've seen that happen in ministries before. You go into some of these conferences and it looks like a big flesh fest and you wonder how in the world did it ever get there. Aaron did the same thing. Aaron was a priest called of God. He was anointed and he was chosen of God and he was a good man and a good priest, but even he fell into this stuff. It's very easy to become prideful about the works of your own hands and start giving it credit for the things that God, that only God can do. So it's always important as a Christian and as a ministry to always remember it's God and God only. You didn't do none of it. And you know, God will take you through these seasons where it takes too long, where it doesn't happen the way you expected it to, when you expected it to, to remind you that it's not you. It's him. Because when you come to the point where you think it's absolutely impossible and you've started meddling in it, that's when he steps in, turns everything upside down, and then he'll do it himself or he'll do it through somebody else to prove to you that it never was you. It was always him. Learn the lesson and avoid the, the whole thing. But I, I see this a lot in looking over the years in circumstances and situations in people's lives around me that got saved and fell away in church members and even in other ministries that used to be people that we ministered with, that we trusted. But it's like they come to the point where they get tired of waiting. They don't want to spend that time. Remember, Moses was tarrying, but he was tarrying with the Lord. The time that he was spending was growing and learning and in communion with God. And that's what they didn't want to wait for. They wanted it now. They wanted it now. So they created their own service. They created their own God. They created their own idol. And God was not pleased with it. A lot of times God will call you to be faithful in the little things before he's willing to move you into the big things. But most people are impatient. And the key to this downfall was impatience. Impatience will cause you to take matters into your own hand, which will cause you to create your own golden calf, which in the end brought death. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. So he's still up on the mountain with God. He's communing with God. God has given him the Ten Commandments, all of this stuff. He, he has no idea what's going on down there. And God tells him. He's in the secret place with God. And God is letting him know everything that's going on down there. 
So he's saying, go, they've corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out, out of the land of Egypt. So God saw everything and he told everything to Moses. I, I question whether or not Moses fully believed the scope of what he was being told you know like you know God speaks to you but you still have to get to that confirmation or you have to see it before you realize how real it really is because Moses didn't get mad until he saw it and it may just be that the zeal of the Lord took over but I know I've been in that place where God has spoken something to me so clearly this is going on in somebody's life and it's such a horrible thing and it doesn't really set in even though he's telling me until I start to see it and then I'm like oh that was really God and now I know how desperately the situation is and how he felt about it and I think that's where Moses was but um but you know Moses was constantly interceding God it's very interesting there's actually passages where it says that God didn't want to save these Israelites because they were so rebellious they were so wicked they were so set in their ways it literally says that God did not save them for them he saved them for the sake of his name because he had given a promise to Abraham their father and because God cannot lie, he was going to fulfill that promise. But these people, it says, were not worthy to receive the promise. But for the sake of his name, he would do it. And you know what God kind of really showed me in this is that Aaron was a type of people-pleasing pastor. You know, there's a lot of pastors that start good. But God, God kind of revealed to me, you know, we talk about how the, um, the Israelites were always complaining and murmuring. But their complaining was a method to try to manipulate Moses. It's because they wanted their will and Moses was trying to bring forth God's will and when they didn't agree with God's will, they would murmur and complain and incite trouble against him to try to manipulate the situation into getting their way to getting their will. Moses would never cave. He was like, this is what God said, we do it. They tried that with Aaron and Aaron caved. Aaron was a people-pleasing preacher. He was like, okay, well, this is what the people want. This is what we'll do, and this is what happened. Because he bowed to the people's demands and the people's ideas, the, what the congregation wanted as opposed to what God wanted, he ended up losing a large portion of the congregation. They were killed. They, you know, they died. They ended up in idolatry. And because he did what the people wanted and not what God wanted, it caused himself to move into idolatry and sin, which corrupted the priesthood, which you know, obviously was a, a grievous thing to God. And I'm sure to Moses when he came down and saw it, because Moses was very upset with Aaron too, you know, understandably. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. So God is telling Moses, these people are stiff-necked. And of course, I've given the example before of what that means. When you ride in that horse and you want it to go this way and you try to turn it and it stiffens its neck and it, will only, it won't go the way you want it to go. God was trying to drive them to the promised land. But every time he would tell them what to do, they would rebel, lock up that neck and go, the well, when you're riding a horse and it will not turn to the right, what do you do? You let it turn to the left until it makes a full circle. And then when you get back in the position you was in, you try again. And if it doesn't do it, you let it go all the way. That's why they went for circles for 40 years in the wilderness. They were a stubborn mule that just wouldn't turn right. 
but we do the same thing. <laughs> we do that. I mean, how many times do you see people that are like stuck in a rut in life and they go through the same cycles over and over and over? It's because God is trying to steer them out of it, but they keep trying to take control and do it their own way. And it keeps them going in circles in the wilderness and they never break out. And the thing is, is if, you know, it, it's, it'll keep you in places that you were never meant to be longer than you were supposed to. But there's a danger in that there's a possibility that you never come out of that wilderness. Because if you stay circling long enough, you'll die in that wilderness. You know, and I've seen people who have died, had a calling on their life, was supposed to preach, stayed in that wilderness all their life until the devil finally killed them in it and they never made it out. You know, so it is a serious thing. Yeah, it's bad if you spend more time than is necessary, but finally learn the lesson and get out. But it's really bad to know that some don't even get out. Some did die in the wilderness. So learn the lesson, submit to God, let him steer you. Trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him. And ultimately, that's what this whole chapter comes down to. Those who trusted God and those who didn't. Those who had patience to wait on the Lord and those that kept taking matters into their own hands and what became of them. Now, therefore, let me alone, and this is God. I love this. He was telling Moses, this is a stiff-necked and rebellious people that's down here. Moses, leave me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. He's, Moses, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me, Moses, because I know you're going to try to pray for these people. I don't want to hear it. I don't want, I want to kill them and I will make a new nation out of you. Now think about that from Moses' standpoint. Moses had nothing but trouble from these people. Yeah, yeah, every right to... They hated Moses. Moses yeah. gave up everything. He could have been Pharaoh. He could have had all the riches of Egypt, the Bible says, but he gave it all up to try to save this people, and they constantly complained against him. They tried to kill him several times. You know, they hated him. They were nothing but trouble for Moses. And God was telling Moses, look, I'll get rid of all of your problems and I'll start a whole new nation from you. He would have been like the new father Abraham. You know, instead of today us talking about the God of Abraham, you'd be talking about the God of Moses, the father of the Israelite people. You know, he was being given a place in history. But he didn't even think of it twice. He was like, no, God, no. He interceded for these people that hated him. Kind of like Jesus for right. right. He was a type of Christ. He didn't want anything for himself. In the New Testament, right. In the New Testament, there's a passage that says that Moses gave up the riches of Egypt because he esteemed the sufferings of Christ of greater reward. So he went through the sufferings of Christ because he knew there was a greater reward in eternity than anything he could have possibly given up here. To be heavenly minded, to always think of eternity. This world is not your home. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty humbling thing. Moses was quite a character. Now, therefore, let me alone. And of course, God is saying, Moses, leave me alone that my wrath... My, yeah, no, I'm just recapping. Okay. My wrath may wax hot against them that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should 
the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. That's a prayer. He was reminding God of his promises. He was like, wait a minute, God. The whole world knows what you did in Egypt. He knows they know about the miracles that you performed to take this people out of Egypt. If you destroy them now, then they're going to say that you just brought them out here to kill them. For the sake of your name, get them to the destination. Moses was more concerned about God's reputation than his own. There's a revelation in that because he could have been, like I said, he could have been the father of the nation. He could have been of great reputation. So you have Aaron who is kind of this this archetype of the minister that was a people pleaser. He wanted the people to like him, so he fell into sin and to idolatry because he just wanted the people to like him, so he submitted to what the people wanted even when they were wicked and they wanted sin. But then you've got Moses, who was so much not a people pleaser. He was not concerned with what people thought about him. He gave up the opportunity to be the father of a nation because he was more concerned about God's reputation and what it would look like on him. So you're getting kind of the the image of the two different types of leadership. Don't be an Aaron, be a Moses. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servant, to whom thou swearest by thine self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all the land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. He's reminding God of his promises. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto the people. Of course, we know repent means to turn away. He decided not to do it. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand, which is the Ten Commandments. The tablets were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other side were they written. And the tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tablets. Now, Aaron had the work of their hands. Moses had the work of God's hands. Again, your two type of ministers. Aaron, the people pleaser, because the people wanted to worship the work of their own hands. They created their own God and they worshiped it. They created their own service, their own feast, everything to worship their own doing. Moses, who was up there spending time with God in this humble place, comes down with the work of God's own hand. When you spend time in the secret place with God, you're getting his work. You're getting his word. You're getting his instruction. When you spend time down with the idols and the revelers and the, the, the people that enjoy their sin, you're getting the work of your own hands. And that's why you'll find a lot of ministries and and Christians will go astray when they don't want to spend that time with God, that prayer time, that worship time, that hearing from God, that getting his words, his commandments, his ideas, his the work of his hands. You come out as Christians and as ministers, we should only be doing what Jesus said and what Moses did. I only do what my father tells me to do. I only say what he tells me to say. It is nothing in and of ourselves. 
these are your two images, Moses carrying the work of God's hand and Aaron carrying the work of their own hand. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. All right, so basically what you have here, Moses was up on the mountain talking with God. Uh, Joshua was somewhere on the mountain, but not where Moses was, maybe like halfway, something like that. Joshua was not in the camp. He didn't know what was going on in the camp. Moses somewhat knew because of what God had told him. So he's coming down and he meets up with Joshua. And Joshua tells him there's a, there's a shout, there's a noise in the camp, like they must be getting attacked or something. There's a noise of war in the camp. And he said, Moses replied to him, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing I do hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. When he saw, even though God had already told him, when he saw it, he got just as mad as God was. He felt the anger of the Lord. He got mad. And he cast the tablets out of his hand and brake them beneath the mount. So God had just given them the law. Before he could even come down with it, they had already broken it. When he saw it, he got angry, threw it down, and broke it. But you'll see that, you know, he spent, he was spending, again, this, for me, one of the biggest takeaways in this whole thing was that all of these problems in the congregation started with impatience because they didn't want to wait for Moses to spend that time hearing from the Lord. And in the time that Moses spent hearing from the Lord, had they been patient enough, he would have come down with the answer to keep them out of that problem had they just waited. The Lord was already working out, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. Here is your answer, here is my word. But because they took matters into their own hand, before he could come down with the answer, they had already broken it. It goes right back to Saul and David. Same yeah. scenario, they were impatient with God. That's what causes most of their problems with all of us, when we take matters into our own hands, when we put more faith in our own logic, understanding, and works, we create our own idols. That's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Exactly. Yeah. Every problem in the Bible comes back to this issue. That's what they happened with Adam and Eve. Yeah. They ate the apple on their own. That's right. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and Strewn, strewn it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink of it. You want your that sin? One, yeah, drink that it. That's one of those powerful verses right there. Just, when you read that, you're like, wait, did, what, did I just read that correct? And, and every Christian is going to get off track when they start trusting themselves. Every ministry is going to get off track. That's why you have all of these ministries that are so focused on um, self-help, you know, life coaches, it's all about what I can do. What, let me go get a program. There's, is there a program that can do this? You know, if I advertise enough, if I put enough light show in, if I do this, if I do that, I can do. They're not spending their time shut in with God. They're being Aaron's. They're not being Moses's. The Moses's are the ones that you read about in history, like Smith Wigglesworth and, you know, all of the great revivalists. They had no advertisement. They had no works of themselves. They had shut in time with God. 
that God gave them a word, a commandment. They went forth to deliver it, and God backed it up with power. That was the great thing about Moses. No matter what the people did, God always backed it up. He was never left ashamed. God always backed up his own word with power. You know, and God told me once, he said, you know, people are always wanting to be part of a miracle. He said, miracles only come to validate the message. Get the message and the miracle will follow. You know, if you spend that time shut in with God to hear from him, go forth and do what he tells you to do. He's going to back that up even if he's got to move mountains to do it. Remember, that's right. These people were not worthy of the promised land, but for the sake of his name, because he said it, he performed miracles to do it. Moses didn't have to have any special power to do miracles. All he had to do was give the message and God performed the miracle to validate his own word. The power is not in the person. The power is in God. We just obey what he tells us to do and we walk within the realm of that miracle or that power because we're just being his servants while he performs it. Yeah, it's like I said before, there's no question of faith. We all have faith, but the question is simply this, where is it? Yeah, what is your faith in? The problem is with Aaron, faith was in himself. Right. With Moses, faith was in God. Yeah. And that's where uh, we as Christians have to look in the mirror as individuals and even as a corporate body and within a local ministry to say, ask ourselves, is our faith in what we're doing? Our brand, our logos? Yeah. <laughs> all right, et cetera, fill in many blanks to fill in. And then alternatively, is our faith where it should be? In- Aaron started out good, but what happened? The people came to Aaron and said, we want to indulge in sin a little bit here. And Aaron, being a people pleaser, was like, okay, we can do that. So he allowed it for a little bit, and then when the people enjoyed it, and he was like, oh, this is working, and you can see this in, in churches where pastors will start out good, and then all of a sudden, a little bit of sin will slip in here or there, or a little bit of counterfeit spirit, or a little bit of kookyism, or new ageism, or whatever, and the people react to it, and they like it. And so then he gets prideful, ooh, I did that. Aaron was like, ooh, the people really like this this statue, so now I'm going to build an altar to it. I'm going to call a service for it. We're going to create a conference about this. We're going to give it a catchy name. We're going to write a book about it. It's, you know, they that's how these things get started. But he was good in the beginning, and for Aaron, at least there was hope because he did repent of it and come back. So there are hope for those that fall into this thing um, because, truthfully, on a smaller scale, we fall into it in our everyday lives also, and we have to recognize it and repent of it. Because it all comes back to taking matter into your own hands and having faith in your own works. We're talking about this denomination and these things. They have faith in their works. They have faith in their books and their teachings and their logos and their denominations and all of this stuff. We don't have that. We have a Bible. We get shut in with God. We have faith in God. He tells us what to do. We do it. We go forth. We see victories in people's lives. We, get, we see miracles. We see miracles. A lot of these places don't see miracles because their faith is not in the miracle maker. He had more of a fear of the people, which was Saul's sin. That's what got Saul to lose the kingdom. He said that he feared the people more than God, so he was obedient to the people, which put him in disobedience to the will of God. A pastor, a leader, you can't do it. You have to have a fear of God. You've got to do what he tells you no matter what the people say. Think if it leaves you alone at the altar, do what God tells you to do. And going back to to Aaron, that was what was happening. He was mixing this and creating a service that was pleasing to the people, but it was idolatry. And that's what the church is doing when they're bringing this stuff in. When Danny lived 
please in the flesh. When, when Danny was living in Baton Rouge, I had a dream one night that me and Danny were going to, we had went to this church in a club. In my dream, it was a club, but we were going to church, and it was in a club. And there was a basketball goal to the side, and I told Danny, I was like, I dreamed we went to church in a club. That was like the craziest thing. And so then like a day or two later, he was like, hey, I'm going to church with some friends down near Hammond. Um, you know, it's this new new church, new movement or whatever. We've been doing Bible studies with them. You want to come? I was like, yeah, sure. So we go. As soon as we walk in, they're like, well, they're doing work in the sanctuary. So we're going to have this this youth service or whatever in the back where they play fellowship. And it's like I walk in and there's a basketball goal. And I look at Danny and he looks at me because there was a basketball goal in it in the dream. And the service starts. You just assume being in a club. In fact, at the end of it, when they were just playing the music, you had little kids walking around, dropping it like it was hot, bumping and grinding. And they don't know the difference. They hear this music. It's comfortable to them. It's the same spirit that's in the music that's in the world. So if they're comfortable in it here and thinking it's good and okay, then what's to tell them that there's something wrong when they walk into a club and hear the same thing? There was no differentiation. There was no separation between the world and what was truly of God, which when you come to people-pleasing, compromising Christianity, like what Aaron and the Israelites were doing, ultimately it leads to idolatry and a dead congregation because that's where this comes to in, in the culmination of this story. You can look at the golden calf and know that this is blasphemy, but when you look at it on a modern level, it's just as blasphemy. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove it. That's right. And then, and then, and then I will receive you. Touch not the unclean thing. The problem with the Israelites in this situation, and y'all have heard me say it before, and I say it for the church, I say it all the time. God had taken the Israelites out of Egypt, but the, the Israelites had not taken Egypt out of them. And so you can take somebody out of the world, but if they're bringing the world into the church, what difference does it make? They've got, you've got to teach them to shed that worldliness. Don't compromise and incorporate it. Teach them to get rid of it. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it with fire and ground it into powder and strewn it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? Did they hold you at gunpoint? Like what did they do to you that would make you do this thing? And and Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. I gave them what they wanted. You know them. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. They, they didn't want to wait, Moses. And I said unto them, who, Yeah, this Aaron talking. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me. Then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Like, oh, how did that happen? Yeah, I just threw it in the fire. There's the golden. Oh, there's the cat. Making excuses. I had nothing to do with it. Yep. Making excuses. No, you. That's, that's a very 
that's worse than the dog ate my homework excuse this yeah. evening, right? I just threw the gold in the fire, and then, oh, there was a cow. But, what, but this, happens, this happens in Christians, and this happens in ministry, because by implying that all he did was throw it in the fire and this calf manifested, he's giving credence and life to this idol. He's making it seem as though it was a supernatural thing when it wasn't. It was the work of their own hands. It had no life to it. And pastors will do that when they start to see themselves in error. They will start making excuses about how this was of God. This was a supernatural thing. They'll twist scriptures. They'll try to make it work any kind of way they can. Just humble yourself and repent, get back on track. And Christians in their everyday life too, when they start to take things into their own hands and they start to mess the situation up, then they start lying and manipulating and everything goes crazy because they're trying to justify why this thing happened. Instead of just humbling, saying, you know what, we were wrong, I'm sorry. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Now, this was a punishment, I believe, that they had been put upon them. Among their enemies, they had been made to, to stand naked. And this is a point that you'll see come out over and over and over that when people begin to take matters into their own hands and worship their own works and trust in their own abilities, they will always be brought to shame. God will always bring you to a place of being ashamed of where you are. Go on to the next. And they were ashamed amongst their enemies. The people around them that they wanted, I mean, the last person you want to be ashamed in front of, the people that already hate you, you know, they were humbled. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levite, which was the priesthood, gathered themselves together unto him. So he's like, okay, people, you're going to have to pick a side. Separation. We cannot have the church in the world and the world in the church. There needs to be a separation. You're of the kingdom of God or you're of the world. There is no, the Bible says to love the things of the world makes you the enemy of God. You can't have both. So he said, here's the line. The things that are in the world, for if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Here is the line in the sand, the separation. If you're going to choose God's side, come here. It says all of the Levites went. The Levites were the priests. Sheep and the goats. There you go. And he said, did we do that one? And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate, to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. Now, interesting parallel here. What does the sword represent? The word, the word. So he said, okay, who's going to choose God's side? We're separating. Okay, all those that came and chose God's side, they all got a sword. They got the word. And he said, now go out among those that didn't choose God's side and slay them with the word. In other words, all of these false doctrines, all of these people that are man-pleasing and trusting in their own works, go out and destroy their doctrine with the word. Prove to them that this is not truth. Now, in this real story, they actually did kill them. But the parallel for modern is to always take it back to the word and try to kill this thing at the root. Though they were brothers, though they were family members, though this is another church or denomination that is claiming to be brothers and sisters in Christ, if it's not of God, bring them the word. Show them in the word. Kill it with the sword of the word. Kill it before it kills you. And the children of Levite did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Keep going. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourself 
today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Keep going. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord preventure and shall make an atonement for your sin. So those that were willing to repent were left alive, but he's like, I don't know if God is going to forgive you. I forgive you, but I'm going to go up and try to make an atonement for your sins. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Gods of gold, gods of gold. How many people make money their God? How many denominations and churches and ministers and the trust is in the money? You know, there's, there's, it's so sad how many people who are called to minister, but they won't be obedient to the voice of the Lord because their denomination is telling them to do something different. Or they're planning a church here or there. Why? Because they're writing them a check. Their faith is in the money. Their faith is in the check. Their faith is not in God. If God called you to it, he'll get you through it. He'll provide. He'll do what needs to be done. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. Hey, you might not have the fancy house and the big jet and the car like some of the ones that are getting the check from Satan, but you'll have what you need. He will supply all your need. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sins, he's talking to God, and if not, now this is Moses, remember, this was the man. This man is this is this is a man. This this is the man, the man of God. This is the man who these people tried to kill. They hated. They slandered. God offered him a nation. All of this stuff. He said, "No, God, we got to save them. We got to get them into to the promised land." He comes down. He sees their wickedness. They're disgusted. He goes back. He says, "I'm going to try to make an atonement for your sin." So he goes, and this is his prayer to God. He says, "Yet now, if thou." talking to God, will forgive their sin. And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. In other words, God, if you don't forgive them, I don't want to go to heaven either. Wow, he was willing, as an archetype of Christ, he was willing to lay down himself to try to get these people forgiven. What a prayer. For the people. Moses' prayer. He was willing to lay himself down for the salvation of his people. Again, an archetype of Christ. But God's reply to Moses, God's reply to Moses was, and the Lord said unto Moses, whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So he told Moses, I'm not going to honor your request, Moses. I'm not taking you out of the book of life. But those that have sinned against me, I will. I know, right? It's, it's such a testament to Moses' character. It's, it's crazy. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, my angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. So I'm going to send the angel. Go ahead, bring them. But there's a, there's a day of judgment coming. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made there was still a consequence for their sin. Right. He said, okay, I'm still going to let you go into promise. I'm going to send an angel to lead you, but there is a consequence for their sin. Go on to the next chapter. I want to cover a few verses into the next chapter to make a point. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up thence, thou and thou peep the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed I will give it thee. So he said, I'm going to honor my word. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jezu, Jeb Jebusite, Jebusite, and the termites, and the parasites, and... <laughs> Unto the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Now this is God. He's saying, okay, look, I'm still going to give you the land. Go without me. Just take them. I'll, I'll get rid of all the people, but I am not walking in the midst of these people because they are so rebellious. He, he was afraid he would be provoked to kill them is what it was. And so it continues. And this again, I, I love Moses in this whole story. He says, and when the people heard these evil tidings, in other words, you can go, but I won't go with you. How many times does a Christian decide to take matters into their own hands? And God's like, okay, well, you can go and do it, but I, I won't be part of it. You feel that distance. You feel that separation. You might still be calling yourself his chosen people, but you can feel there's a distance there because you've moved in your own understanding, in your own faith, in your own trust, God's anger was there and there was never a full repentance. Now remember, Moses tried to atone for them, but they had never actually brought that repentance themselves. They hadn't taken the action. And you'll see that a lot of times in, in again, taking this into the, the ministry aspect of it. These churches that start to move in these, these operations, they might still build a church, they might still build a name and build a ministry, but God's not going with them. And so they need more and more of the works of their own hands. That's why you see them on TV begging and begging and begging for money because God is no longer supplying. They need all the programs. They need all the advertisement. They need all the smoke and lights because God is not going with them. They've gone ahead, but he's not going with them. They are in this place of promise, but they're there alone. And when the people heard these evil tidings, in other words, God said, go, I'll give you the promise, but I'm not going with you. They mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. Yeah, those ornaments is what they had turned into the golden calf in the first place. For the Lord said unto Moses, say unto the children of Israel, ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore, now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. Shed that bit of Egypt. They had brought these ornaments, this jewelry. This was all stuff they had brought with them from Egypt. Yep. That stuff that they had brought from Egypt, those little bits of the world they had tried to bring into the camp of yep. God, that's what they turned into their idol. That's what they ended up worshiping. He's saying, okay, whatever little bits of Egypt you have left on you, take it off, and then I'll make a decision. It represents the sin. You're not bringing the world into the church. Shed it now. Get rid of it now. Repent. Lay it all down. Every bit of it, every little bit, hold nothing back, and then I will decide what I'm going to do with you. Amen. Total repentance. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. So he had to go and pitch the tabernacle outside the camp. God would not walk in the midst of this people. He wouldn't. That would be like God saying, I'm not coming in that church. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to kill them. There's so much blasphemy. There's so much mockery. There's so much rebellion. I'm not going amongst those people. I don't care what they call themselves. I'm, I'm afraid I'll be angry and just kill them. 
He said, strip it all off. Repent, repent, repent. Strip it all off. Put aside every weight that so easily besets you, the scripture says. Get rid of everything that represents the world, and then I'll decide what I'm going to do. You can come and say a sinner's prayer all you want, but until you're willing to lay down the ornament, the, the, the decorations, the jewelry, the pieces of the world, the pieces of Egypt, You've got to repent. You've got to be willing to lay that down, and then he will decide. And the, the, the thing that really brings this home here is that he said, I will not go with you, when you ha- while, while you have these ornaments. And that was the thing that really showed them there's something that's got to be done. They didn't want to go on without him. They could feel the separation. And when they knew that God was no longer with them, they were willing to lay down all the things of the world to see if maybe, just maybe, he would come back to them. So that's where we are in the story. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. Everyone that sought the Lord. Now, what caused all of this in the first place? They were impatient because Moses was seeking the Lord. This caused a big runaround because they were impatient and didn't want to spend time seeking the Lord. They wanted to take matters into their own hands. So now they all got to go and seek the Lord. So instead of Moses trying to repent for them, which didn't work, now they all have to go out to seek the Lord, to spend that quiet time to try to get that connection with the Lord. The Lord went out into the tabernacle and the congregation, which was without the camp. Keep going. Separation. Separation. They had to leave their worldliness to go out to seek God. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door and the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. Now they're worshipping. Every one of them. And notice that there was God stayed away from them until they were willing to do the work themselves. Moses could not repent for them. They had to worship God. They had to seek God. They had to choose God. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again unto the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, and a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. Joshua never left the tabernacle. He stayed there. And who was the one that ended up going into the promised land? Joshua. You want to be brought into promise? Spend time with God. Spend time with God. Spend time with God. All of this happened because they didn't want to spend time with God. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou, saith unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. He accepted the repentance. 
Let it be the cry of every Christian, of every heart, of every pastor, and of every church. God, if you will not go, I will not go. I don't care what promise or reward is laying ahead. I'm not going without you. Now, uh, we can stop there because we are like so far behind and so far over. But if you continue on, it goes to the part where Moses goes back into the wilderness to pray with God, uh, to speak with God. And he says, God, show me your glory. We all, you know, we've heard that. We love that. God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And he told him, I love it too. And he, you know, God told him, he's like, no man can look upon my face, but I will hide you. It says, I will set your foot upon a rock and I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand and I will pass by and then I will let, let go and you will see my, my backward parts. In other words, you will see me from behind. Who is the rock? Jesus. Jesus. So coming back to the very beginning of the story, Moses was spending time with God. He was in that hiding place. He was in that secret place of communion. The Israelites got off track because they got impatient. They wanted their promise now. They wanted all this stuff now. They didn't want to wait for that hidden secret time with God. They wanted it their way right away. But the thing that God showed me about all of this, Moses was hidden in Christ. He was hidden in that rock. He would show me your glory. God's like, you want to see my glory? You have to be hidden in Christ. You have to be hidden with me. So God had kind of spoke to me. He said, to see his glory, you must first be hidden in Christ because he is the rock, which kind of goes back to the lesson that we had did on the cave. You know, all of the, the prophets of old spent their time in the cave getting words from God. That was the hiding place. The cave is the rock. It represents Christ. You spend that time in prayer, learning, and getting that word from God. You stay hidden in Christ until he wants to reveal you. He said, most believers and ministers never see his glory because they won't go hide themselves. They forsake the cave, the hiding place. Go hide thyself, and God will show you his glory. He never showed Moses his glory until he was hidden in the rock. You have to be hidden in Christ. Don't forsake small beginnings. Take your time. Have that communication and you will never be ashamed. Moses was always validated and vindicated, even if it took miracles to do it. Those that took matters into their own hands were always brought to shame, one way or another. Isaiah 49, 1 through 3 says, Listen, O isle, unto me, and hearken ye people from afar. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name, And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hidden me and made me a polished staff. In his quiver hath he hid me and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. If you will be hidden in Christ, if you will trust in God, if you will take time in that place of communion, repentant, praying, hearing, and obeying, He will show you his glory, and he will be glorified in you. The Israelites' problem was that they were impatient. They didn't want to seek God. They trusted in Egypt because it was easier and faster. They trusted in the things. They didn't want to let go of the things of Egypt. They didn't want to let go of their sin. They didn't want to let go of the things of the world. Um, And they were what to shame for it. But those that trust in the Lord shall never be brought to shame. Go to Isaiah forty nine sixteen, 
And we'll probably close with this passage and I'll just give y'all the other passages that I had in case y'all want to go back and read them. Isaiah 49, 16. All right, starting in verse 16, it says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand. Thy walls are continually about me. This is the words of the Lord to somebody who has trusted in the Lord. Now, those that trusted, we look back at the other story of the Israelites. It says those that trusted in the works of their own hands had graven their own images. But those that trust in God were graven in the palms of his hands, being made his workmanship. The Israelites worshipped their own workmanship. Those that trust in the Lord become the workmanship of the Lord. The Israelites trusted in the work of their own hands, and they graved out their own God. But God said, I will grave in you into the palms of my hands and make you my workmanship, if you will but trust and wait and be patient and spend that time with the Lord. Thy children shall make haste, thy destroyers and they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. Lift up thine eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all as with an ornament, and bind them on thee as a bride doth. Those that didn't trust in the Lord in the first story, were made naked and shamed and forced to give up their ornaments, which were made by their own hands and were of Egypt or of the world. But those in the second verse that trusted in the Lord were clothed of God in righteousness and were given ornaments that were made by his hand and adorned as a bride. To those who had, it was given, and to those who had not, it was taken away. Remember the scripture that says that those that have, he'll take it away, and those that have not, it will be given. So those that trusted in themselves, he stripped their ornaments from them. But those that trusted in God, he gave them ornaments, and he adorned them as a bride. For thy waste and thy desolate places, and the land of thy destruction, shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. And they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. In other words, God will, will grow you, prosper you, and protect you if you trust in him. The children which thou shalt have after thou hast lost the others, and of course this is actually speaking of spiritual children, shall say again in thine ear, the place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, who hath begotten me these? Seeing... I have lost my children, kind of like Moses constantly crying about the, uh, the Israelites that were complaining. But even those that he lost, God replaced with more. And am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro. And who hath brought up thee? And then this is God's promise back. Behold, I was left alone. These, where had they been? Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people and they shall bring thy sons and in their arms and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders and kings shall be thy nursing fathers and queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and lick up the dust of thy feet and thou shalt know that I am the Lord for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. 
highlight that in your Bible. If you will be faithful to wait on the Lord, he will see to it that you are not ashamed. You will go through hardships. People will rise against you. They will try to shame you in the process. But if you are faithful to trust in God, in the end, he will always vindicate, validate, and bless you. And in the end, they will be shamed for taking matters into their own hands, but you will not be. And I've seen it happen so many times over and over and over and over again where I trusted God for something that seemed so impossible and everybody made fun of me. They came against me. They attacked me. They thought it was just ridiculous or, or slandered me for it. But in the end, when God was faithful to his word, I was not the one left ashamed. He will always come through if you believe. Stick it out, stick it out. Don't quit right before you walk into promise. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered for I will contend with him that contendeth with thee and I will save thy children. Isaiah 49, 16 through 25. Trust in the Lord no matter what it looks like and in the end, you will not be the one left ashamed. I'm going to go ahead and read you Joel 2, 21 because it's short and it's really good and it ties in. This was a promise from the Lord spoken through the prophet Joel where he says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beast of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield her strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain and the former rain and the latter rain in the first month, and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the pommel worm, my great army which I sent among you, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dwelled wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am the Lord in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And I could read them over and over. There's so many promises about those that trust in the Lord will not be ashamed. It might look impossible while you're in the wilderness, but put your trust. You will not be ashamed. So we didn't read it. If you want to go home and read it, you can mark down Isaiah chapter 30 um, and a little bit into 31. It kind of covers the whole rebellious children, and it's kind of just a parallel of what the Israelites went through in a whole nother circumstance and situation, but it's those that don't trust in God and how they were always brought to shame. So in the end, spend time with God, hear from God, be patient with God, no matter what it looks like, trust in God, and you will not be ashamed. Take matters into your own hands, and it's going to turn out really ugly, and you will be brought to shame. One way or the other, it will happen. Romans 10, 11, go ahead and read it. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Amen. God, we come before you humbly. 
We ask that you search our heart and that you expose the state of it to us. Lord, that we not seek to please men or to get their approval or adoration, but that we seek to please you. And we can test our own fruit on this because we can say, are we more desirous of spending time on that mountaintop with you, seeking your face, than we are searching out those things that we know the people like, that our flesh likes, that are like Egypt, like the world. God, let us never be afraid to make the separation Because God, you could have caused Moses to become Pharaoh. He could have stayed in Egypt and he would have ruled everything. And the people could have been set free that way, but they would not have been set free spiritually because they would have remained in Egypt and Egypt would have remained in them and they would have incorporated into it. You didn't want that. You called separation from it. You took Moses out of it. The people had to leave it. Let the church grab hold of this revelation today that there has to be a separation between the world and the things of it and those things that are holy. God, you said that the purpose of the minister is to teach the people how to discern between the holy and the unholy the clean and the unclean, the profane, and the things that glorify your name. We can't bring in all of the ornaments of Egypt and think that it will please you. You don't need it. You can do what Egypt could not do. So Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we commit to spend that time on the mountaintop, seeking your face, getting your heart. God, we love you. We want nothing more than to serve you and to be a right representation and reflection of you to the world. The last thing we want is to make them comfortable where they are, but they need to see a people who are willing to be set apart. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.